0: All right, welcome to If You've Come This Far. Uh, On this episode, we get to to, uh, spend some time with Jim Dethmer. uh, Jim's a coach, a speaker, author. Uh, He founded a group called the Conscious Leadership Group that has a pretty darn impressive portfolio of clients, uh, uh, which includes our esteemed colleague and friend, Todd Adams, uh, which is how we came across uh, Jim. Um, So we're looking forward to this conversation. But Jim's kind of big time. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, and and we and we definitely. I don't think we let Jim off the hook, did we? Uh, no, I and, and I think as as
1: I I think as we pushed him, he was all, all for. I mean, the, the the thing that I think I knew about him that he's he showed in in our conversation is he's pretty much up for everything, and yeah, or anything. I mean, I mean, yeah. so he's got that sexual creative energy um, (laughs) maybe, maybe always flowing. So, you know, as he said, it's kind of like when you and I talk, my balls are always tingling. Um, (laughs) so, you know, so then that's kind of how I felt talking with him.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't remember if he said this, I, I, I had hoped, and it's been a few weeks, uh, sorry, Jim, uh, if you're, if, if, and when you listen, um, but you know, life has been crazy, including the COVID that you had, but, um, but so I don't remember if he said this explicitly, but I kind of am recalling our conversation as and and inferring that what he wants more than anything is to engage with people who aren't going to take anything for gospel, right? Like he, he appreciates people who want to question the way, you know the frameworks that are put in front of them and the way people are telling you to live and uh and all those things so i appreciated that about him i i enjoyed that conversation too
1: very uh very much so yeah
0: um i don't know if i'm going to be signing up to go to any classes for anybody anytime soon just by time but I, i'll bet that uh that that's a neat program and, and todd has said as much so um anything else we should say about jim
1: no, I, I, you know, um, again, I mean, he's, he's a founder with, um, uh, with a couple other women on, on conscious leadership group. And, um, you know, I mean, our interest in, in him is his relationship with Todd, um, his, um, kind of commitment to a framework, even though, you know, for for me, what was interesting about him is there's a lot of loaded word spirituality uh-huh. in his, in his perspective on, um, you know, being a leader air quotes in the world. So, um, so, so, so under, you know, the idea of self-awareness and consciousness from that perspective, I think is really, um, really interesting to me. So, yeah, yeah. he's just smart. It's just a smart dude.
0: Yeah. Smart dude, uh, who, who, uh, has not gotten too big for his britches, it seems. Yeah. Right. Well, he hung out with us. He did hang out with us for right. uh, Did he say he was like a seven index? Yeah. That's the other thing yeah. that pissed us off, right? That he's yeah, right. a better golfer than we are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think he hits a lot of balls. I think he's got a lot of time. <laughs> now, and we go back to balls. Balls tingling, <laughs> hitting balls. <laughs> right.
0: So I'm going to kick us off here, Jim. First of all, thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, Todd, our friend Todd, uh, speaks uh, incredibly highly of you um, and um, and you know uh, Sean and I are both um, sort of uber preparers for things like this and we've both dug into your sorted past uh, extensively. So, um, but anyway, I thought we, what we would do here is we'd sort of bring a little men living to this podcast. So a lo- one of the things that we always do with, when our me- with our meetings, and I, I suspect maybe you do with the conscious, uh, uh, with your, uh, uh, group as well is a check-in. And we thought we would borrow from you to do this check-in and we would each of us check in, uh, using your above and below the line framework. Is, does that sound cool? If it sounds cool, I'll model. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. And this will give you some context for where I'm coming from and who I am. Um, so, so uh, I'm vacillating above and below the line, which I, I know uh, I've been granted permission to do, and that's fine. Um, part of the reason is I'm just, uh, a, a, I'm a born skeptic. Um, uh, I'm, I'm an engineer by training. Um, I never uh, require proof of anything, but I'm constantly craving evidence. certain things and so um i'm kind of coming at this uh uh with uh, with a lot of curiosity because you are uh, an influential life coach and i'm eager to hear from you and i have this skepticism about the proliferation of life coaches and the proliferation of 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 systems and frameworks. And so I'm kind of going I'm trying to stay on the on the curious side um, um but I'm just you know I've heard you say a lot of things that really um uh tickle me. Uh like uh, on the Ferris interview uh you you've talked about how you haven't don't know if you've ever had an original idea or something you know things like that. Um so I just think um we're blessed to have you um discuss some of that stuff with us. And so I'm up and down above and below and I'll turn it to you, Sean.
1: So uh, Sean, I'm checking in from California. I am. um, Yeah, I'm coming from, I think, from above the line. Um, I am open and I am curious. I have a lot, a lot of energy around um, you and the subject matter we're going to talk about today. I have read commitments. I've been to a taste. I get your blog. I spend time with Todd and it's never ending. I mean, he's a fanboy. It's ridiculous. I mean, he was in training for two years. So, and he loves it. So um, uh, I have in my head, I have sexual creative energy. I have, I mean, I can go below the line really quickly. As soon as somebody asks me, are you above or below? Because it's disgusting how much I get asked that by him. Um, and, and then, and then there's a couple of blog posts that you've written that I really love the one that you wrote in January about your trip to the ER. I, I, I look forward to exploring a little bit with you as well as the one you wrote yesterday, which is, which is really, really interesting to our conversation. It, when I sent it to Chris, I'm like, it's almost like Jim knows we're interviewing him tomorrow based on the nature of what you wrote. So I'm checking in excited, glad to meet you. Um, with that, I'm in.
2: All right. Great. Well, since you asked the question, let me actually check. (laughs) Um, Yeah, right now, in this now moment, I feel above the line. So what that feels like to me is uh, my body feels spacious. My breath feels soft. It's deep. Uh, There's some excitement, sexual creative energy, fear. But the fear is not the fear that shows up below the line which is kind of a threat. I don't feel in a threatened state. I feel in a uh, open curious trusting state. So in this now moment, uh resting in trust and open and ready to play. I feel playful. I don't take any of this very seriously. Uh, deeply interested in what we can co-create together. Whatever the magic is going to be, that excites me.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Jim. Um, I, we should have also told you that we try to have fun on these things. Uh, we, we, try, we try to laugh a little, uh, <laughs> as hopefully uh, we've made evidence so far even. Um, uh, and, and, and also, um, we don't throw a lot of softballs out there. So, so, so let me start with this one. How's your golf game?
2: Uh, yeah, I could answer that like at multiple levels at the level of fact, I think my index is six, seven Um, at the level of story or what I'm making up. I'm a little bit on the IR right now. I bought this incredibly a new driver at the beginning of the season, like it's cutting edge technology, um, totally unique new thing, but it's created a meaningful case of tennis elbow. Mm-hmm. And so I've taken about three weeks off. Deb and I are going to Florida tomorrow. I'm going to bring my golf clubs and I'm going to play a little bit of golf. And I'm moving into winter. So now my passion shifts a little bit from golf moreover to pickle, pickleball. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, my golf game is a spiritual practice for me. It really is. I hit the ball and then I see, am I above or below the line? I miss the putt and I ask myself, am I in presence or am I in threat? It really is. I really do practice. Yeah. It's a great place for me
0: to practice. Well, you're, you're, you're clearly a player. I mean, that, that, that is an index that is, is no joke. Right. Uh, so, um, so let's not go out and play for money anytime soon, but we'll, we'd we'll love to play <laughs> That's it,
2: why it, it, handicaps. We can play <sighs> for money and you it, can tell me you're a 28 and beat my brains out and I'll hand you a check at the end of the round.
0: So <laughs> I, I, it's so funny. You mentioned that I was out in Virginia playing this great track, the Robert Trent Jones golf club. Yeah for the member guests out there. And I don't play enough to even have an index right now. So I took my last five rounds. They put me at a 17 and I birdied two of the par threes on the backside for, for net aces, um, help the squad, but that was legit though. People were going to call bullshit on me, but I'm, I just don't play enough. So, um, it's so funny. Uh, I, I had not thought about. The way I approach the game of golf in in, in the context of your framework. Um, but I, I really used to walk around the track uh below the line a lot, right? If if I was, you know, it, it's a it's a good place to explore that area below the line. <laughs> um, but but the older I've gotten and the more I appreciate just being on the course. Um mm. I'm so I'm gonna get my last round in on Sunday and and, and I'm looking uh, forward to just a beautiful day. <laughs> great.
1: Yeah. My, my friend, John Kennedy would tell me, you know, talk about doing it, playing golf as a spiritual practice, uh, that I would get into the schlump walk if I was playing badly Uh. as I was, as I was walking down the fairway. But, but so back to spiritual practice, for me, it's about letting go. It's like, okay, let go of that putt. Let go. I mean, and it's, so it's the kind, it's not so much my above or below it's, it's just let go. I mean uh, whether it's a great shot or a bad shot, just let go and go on to the next one. Yeah. Um, it's not always easy to do as I'm sure all of us know, but
2: well, you know I said it kind of jokingly but I mean it. It's a spiritual practice for me. Yeah. And you think about all the sports. Golf is a sport that spiritual um people, I don't mean religious spiritual, write books about. Mm-hmm. Scott Peck mm-hmm. wrote a book about golf. Deepak Chopra yes. wrote a book about golf. Yep. Gay Hendricks wrote a book about Hmm. golf of course murphy golf in the kingdom there's something about the nature of golf that lends itself to practice in a way that football doesn't or Mm -hmm. you know lacrosse doesn't Mm -hmm. as evidenced by how many people have treated it as you know a spiritual kind of thing it's weird in that regard i think there's some reasons why it shows up that way by the way but it's kind of unique in that regard all kidding aside does it's, your wife play? Oh, yeah. She's every bit as passionate as I am. Maybe uh, more. Okay. 80% of the rounds of golf I play, I play with Debbie.
1: Yeah. I I, I try to, I, I'm i wondering now if I could tell my wife from now on that my 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 golf trips are meditation retreats. Honey, I'm going on, a, I'm going, and that would maybe work better than I'm going on a golf trip. I'm not sure. I
0: think give it a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um uh, and maybe this was at the Ryder Cup only but uh recently they've had a couple of players on the tour wearing heart rate monitors um and i i know i know like i think Rory had one on at the Ryder Cup and so when those guys step up on the first tee it's really telling about how how much anxiety is going through their their system or uh or how important the situation is to them um when you see their heart rate go within a you know 20 seconds from 115 to 140 uh god only knows what mine would be but um it's it's getting better i also think that there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of pragmatic uh lessons to be learned from golf maybe not pragmatic maybe that's the wrong adjective um but 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 one of those things is and jim you'll appreciate this because you're a real golfer but uh or i hope you will but like i mentioned earlier my um Consternation with with all the all the self help books and podcasts and frameworks and systems and all that other stuff, Um, and and when I when I think about that in the context of a golf swing, I think if you're trying to help someone get better, you don't give them forty different swing thoughts because things are just going to crumble and implode. Um, And I've heard you say something to this effect before about trying to keep that. I don't remember where it was, but keeping things simple and coming up with simple frameworks. But do you have you thought? about that or do you have thoughts on how anyone can be a life coach these days or
2: well okay all right great so we're segueing to life coaching vis-a-vis goal i like it um well first of all anyone can be a life coach anyone can't be a psychotherapist and call themselves a psychotherapist all you have to do to be a life coach is call yourself a life coach. (laughs) And in the last, let's say, 20 years, there's been an explosion of life coaches for a number of reasons. Part of it has to do with um, the nature of insurance companies and what they will and will not pay for therapy. Because they have really tightened the screws on therapy and it's my judgment, become kind of onerous to be a therapist. A lot of therapists are saying, uh, I'm going to dump insurance companies. I'm going to go cash on the barrel head. And therefore, I'm going to call myself something different. So there's been that whole group coming in. But the larger group have been people who had a life coach. They hired a life coach. And they experienced a meaningful shift in their life and then they said, "Huh, I want to be a life coach." Mm-hmm. So there's no uh, the the price of entry in is almost zero, and of course that creates a world where there's a great variability in terms of the quality of the experience of what kind of a life coach you're hiring. And we do need to distinguish between executive coaching, leadership coaching, career coaching, Mm -hmm. those are three different things, life coaching. And in life coaching, am I focused on some aspect of life, midlife transition, you know, parenting, something like that. So if you're asking me, can anybody, it, it actually... It takes more to be a golf instructor
0: mm-hmm. than it
2: does to be a life coach. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a certified golf instructor, you have to go to something that the PGA puts on or something. I guess you could open up a, you know, like, a, uh, what was that great show with Kevin Costner where he ran that uh, tin cup? Tin cup, you, know, tin cup. You, you could mow a piece of grass in a field, throw a flag out there and say, I'm a golf instructor. <laughs> That's about the way that life coaching is.
0: Right. Right. I th- I actually think to be a PGA teaching pro now, you, yeah, I think, or you, you've always had to pa- pass a playing test, right? You have to score. Exactly.
2: You've got to at least be able, which is, you know, that's interesting because there are a,
0: my judgment, my opinion, mm-hmm. there are a
2: lot of life coaches who fail the first fundamental test, which is they're not living what they're talking about.
0: Right.
2: Or, right. and that isn't necessarily like a critical judgment. They just don't have enough reps to know whether yes. what they're talking about is yeah. really sustainable in their own life yeah. you know in fairness what everything that i talk about i do practice and debbie and i practice and you know we say it's kitchen tested i mean this shit either works or it doesn't work mm-hmm. uh and everything i talk about i talk about because it works for me that that'd be question number one question number two Do I have enough transfers of this to other human beings who could all line up and say, that really works? Mm -hmm. And actually, you need more than first generation. I think you need second and third generation. Not only, we all know Todd. It's not only, did it work for Jim? Does it work for Todd? Does it work for people Todd is bringing it to? And does it work for those people? Then you're coming up with something that might have some viability to it <laughs> when we talk about systems and i'm mm-hmm. with you i actually uh you know would love to blow up almost all systems including my own but if you're going to look at a system you ought to at least say is it alive in this person's life and is it down several generations still working
0: yeah yeah there's that old um uh god i can't remember whose quote it was some uh business school professor who said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Um, and, and that's what I think of when I think about evidence, right? It's really hard to come up with evidence in this. And I use life coaching as this big bucket that that captures all those things. My wife coaches on career uh, uh, in the nonprofit space. but um, So I, I'm really generalizing probably overly in, in this sense. It is hilarious. I was telling Sean just last night, I was going through some of the list of some preeminent again, life coaches and, 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 and the self designations of those people, it's kind of a riot. Like you, 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 you got, you got someone who's a master coach who's certified in life. Um, (laughs) So I don't know about your life certification, but I'm not sure about my own life certification. Um, And then you've got uh, an organization who has, uh, and I won't name names, obviously, um, but who has a dean of education who graduated? You talk about reps who graduated undergrad in 2014. You're like, oh, it's, it's that's not enough time to put those reps in and to try, you know, try this kitchen test, this stuff on your own, let alone that third generation. So, um, so it's good to hear you you talk about that, and I appreciate you putting it in the context of some of the economics that have driven this, which I had not considered before.
2: Well, it's really true. The other thing is. The economics of, well, first of all, one economic of it is I heard somebody who I think really understands the field well and the real data behind the field say that 95%, now this might not be exactly accurate, but it's directionally true. 95% of all life coaches don't make any money.
1: Mm. Mm. I could see that.
2: That's probably true. Mm -hmm. Now, once you find those people who start making money, One of the things that's interesting, let's let's use a per hour rate, although there are many other ways you could do it. You know, the spectrum of what's being charged out there is Mm -hmm. wild from, you know, a donation. If you think this is valuable, if you would give me a donation Mm -hmm. all the way up to, you know, two, three, five, ten thousand dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Mm
0: -hmm. That's crazy. yeah, it's, I, I mean, part of that 95% is the fact that the denominator has gotten so massive, right? That's it,
2: exactly right. You,
0: you know, and, and, and so, and this raises for me another question, Jim, which I would never um, ask you to, to stereotype anyone, but, but you asked us about the audience for our podcast, who is the audience uh, for, or who is the prospective market for all of these coaches, or maybe just, you can't answer that, but you could probably answer who is your market. Oh, I can answer that very clearly. Yeah. The market for
2: the conscious leadership group is organizational leaders. Now that's, so that starts to, and what we mean by that is they're working in an organization, could be a not-for-profit, could be educational. Most of them are working in for-profit businesses. And they're leaders. By that, we simply mean they have direct reports. Now, normally, when we go in to work with a leader in an organization, we come in at the top level of an organization. There's a whole set of reasons for that. Somebody who has PL responsibility, if not the CEO, they need to have meaningful um, authority and responsibility in the organization. Second we, our target audience is organizational leaders who are really, um, mavericks. And what I mean by that is we talk about bringing a a conscious operating system to an organization. The stuff that we talk about is not just the next team building thing. Like I love Lencioni. It's great. Love his stuff. It's great. Ours is not that it's not, um, it's, a radical shift in how you're playing the game of teamwork or the game of leadership. It's radical because it's going to dramatically affect how you are as a person. So therefore, we're looking for people who are organizational leaders and kind of pioneers. They're willing to take a big risk to play a totally different game. That dramatically shrinks our um, ultimate Mm -hmm. market. Uh, and then there's other characteristics of what who our target market is. So we're very narrow, very focused in terms of what we do for lots of reasons. We believe that's what we call it the greatest leverage point. We want to create as much change as possible. We think that if you can impact leaders in organizations right now in our world, you probably can really change the conversation in the world, even more so certainly than religion or politics, to some degree, even education organizational leaders tend to be the place where change is occurring at so many levels. So that's our target market.
1: So two questions on that. I mean, going back to your earlier comment about um, working on yourself, one of the things that, that, that I gleaned from talking to Todd and looking at what you do at CLG is, there's a real, real emphasis on your training. And I think it's for your, the longest training you have is like an 18 month program. Right. I believe. Um so much of it seems to be on personal growth and then coming out of, out of that training to then share that with others. Is that, is that accurate? And then secondly, would you, do you fire customers or do you pat, does somebody come to you and say, Hey, I want, I want to, I want you to come and train me and my people and be like, you know, you know, no, you don't fit into our niche. So
2: yeah. Okay. Of, a couple clarifications so three, on that. Yeah. Three questions embedded there. One is, in our longer programs, which could include, like what Todd was in, was our coaches certification program. Right, That's 12 months, and very intense yeah. <laughs> in terms right. of time and energy. Right. We say that that involves two dimensions. We call it pillar one, which is you becoming a person who's living this stuff. Yeah. Pillar two, how to coach somebody else to live this stuff. Right. The majority of our emphasis is on pillar one. Now, mm-hmm. at the end of it, Todd knows how to do a one-hour coaching session, Todd, in Todd's case, quite masterfully, mm-hmm. using the coaching model that we use, which is just a model. But more importantly, I think Todd would say he has progressively become a being who can hold a field of transformation. Now, those are a lot of big words. Yes. That's because... He's become practiced at like living a life of integrity. He's become skillful at emotional intelligence. He's taken radical risks to be a candid human being. These are just a few of the things, you Mm -hmm. know, that we've got. Okay. Now that's true in our coaches program. That's true when we go into a business. We no longer, you can't call us up and say, will you come work with our business? And we just say, great, we'll come. No, here's what we say. It's okay. First of all, we need to talk to the leader. Second, we need that leader to get involved in individual coaching with one of us for three to six months before we will even consider coming to work with your organization. Mm-hmm. Because a couple of things have to occur. We have to see if that leader is really willing to play this game. Right. No judgment if they're not. Yeah. But in years gone by, while we were learning, we went into organizations and we would usually start with the leader and her, his team, but then we would discover six months, a year and a half, two years in that the leader wasn't playing the game. And that created a mess mm-hmm. because now you got people down in the organization going, you know, this stuff really works, but the leadership of the organization doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. Or they weaponize. it. They use above and below the line as a weapon or they use facts. So we don't do that anymore. So now in order to work with us, the leader has to be coached individually by one of our coaches for three to six months. By the way, we're thinking about upping that ante and saying the leader has to be in a year long forum. Which is meeting with 10 other leaders who aren't in their organization for a year because we've had so many experiences where if the leader doesn't get it, it's, really, it's not only not going to be good, it's going to be damaging to the organization. So that was your second question. Next, do we fire people? We fire people all the time. Mm-hmm. We just simply say we're no longer aligned at the level of what we're committed to. So this isn't working for you and it's not working for us. Let's bring this to an end. We do that all the time. And we say to people, you know, this, you're just not a candidate for what we're doing yet. If you looked at the book, you know, the last chapter of the book is called The Change Formula. And unless somebody has enough pain or enough vision to create a meaningful shift in their consciousness, we're not for them. We're not the right person for them to hire. Does that
1: make sense? Yes, it does. And, and, you know, when you talk about the book, I mean, I, I read the book. At the end of the book, I had, you know, the thought that I had is, why 15? Why can't we just have, and, and you go back and say, you know what, just focus on the top three. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not gonna remember what they are because I read the book a while ago, but but it's that, it's just so, it gets so complex. Why can't we just focus on one or two things? And I think in, in your blog post yesterday, you said, you know, wouldn't it be a better use of time uh, to discover who we really are and who we are not? Is that not just like the one the one thing that we should do um from you know a commitment standpoint? I'm I'm just yeah. trying to simplify it, you know? Well, great.
2: So the reason we have 15 is because we didn't really, we just want <laughs> to have fun um, playing with each other and write a book. And we yeah. thought we're not gonna write a second book. So right. we might as well say everything <laughs> we have to say. And everything we had to say was 15. And you can imagine when we started to bring this book out, people said, No, listen. <laughs> It's five dysfunctions of a team, seven habits of highly right. effective people. Nobody has 15 of anything. <laughs> we said, we don't care. It's just everything we have to say about everything. Okay, so you got that. Yep. I could care less about any of that. Yeah. So if you ask me, I can get it down to one word, and that would be presence. Yeah. Now I can get it to two words, and now it starts to get a little meat on it. Awareness and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness self-acceptance yeah. if you want me to extend it to four words it's awareness acceptance willingness which is a powerful word and action so i can move it from 15 uh you know what what is that even that mean i have right. a hard time number in the 15 right i can boil it down to one word yeah. are you present now and how do you know what takes you out of presence whether we're doing a podcast, are you present? You can actually check. Yeah. You go, actually, I'm not. I was thinking about the next question I'm going to ask five minutes from now. Or, right. or no, I was actually thinking about the fight I had with my wife this morning. My stomach's upset because my oatmeal was bad. I'm not present. And then the next question would be, what takes you out of presence? And do you know how to get back into presence? That's our entire work. Yeah. Now, the only thing we add to that is, it's one thing to be self-aware and self-accepting when it's just me. I can go to a monastery, sit on a cushion and be pretty fucking present. Yep. Oh, that's an That's a very tall order. But let's say I could do that. Mm-hmm. But then I come back and I have to deal with fill in the blank, my family, my neighbor, my business associates. So our work is around how to be present and then how to be present in a relationship. Mm-hmm. How to two people, three people, ten people practice presence, self-awareness, self-acceptance. So you can blow up the 15, you can get down to one word. Are you present? Yes or no? How do you know? How do you get back into present? Are we present with each other right now? Yes or no? So it can get real simple. And that's why I said, you know, you brought up, Chris, I, I do say I've never had an original idea. I can't find an original idea. Now people bust my chops on that because probably what's true is like many people, I'm a bit of an alchemist, you know, so I can take something from, you know, Eckhart Tolle. And all of a sudden, it's been merged with something from, you know, uh, Hale Dwoskin or David Allen. And now maybe a, I would say this, maybe a new way of saying it comes out. Okay. So nothing I've said about what we do is original. There is nothing, every spiritual tradition it talks about some form of presence it talks about some form of truth and grace awareness and acceptance well then all of a sudden you look at every major tradition and they all kind of orient towards a couple of things you go maybe there's something to this. <laughs> right right and then right. all we did is we said okay if i'm going to go talk to the leaders at goldman sachs i It's probably not going to work if I, you know, bring the Bhagavad Gita or the Tao Te chain, or, you know, probably it needs to be languaged in a way that they go, okay, okay, I think I could be a better trader if I did that. Mm -hmm. By the way, to your point, Chris, that's when those people start saying, what's the data here? Mm -hmm. Show me some evidence that this really works. Mm -hmm. And now there's a whole field from the Stanford D school and a lot of places, Google even are doing research to say that this, now that this isn't what we do, that this is certain of these touchy feely, ooey gooey gushy things probably really do correlate to things like high performing teams, innovation. Uh, that yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now, but I, I still don't think the data is as solid as it needs to be. But I think it's coming.
0: I got a million things going through my head. And I hope I don't. I <laughs> so hope don't not, so are you present or not? If you have a million <laughs> no, things going no, through I'm, your head. I'm uber right. present. I'm, right, I'm, right. I'm <laughs> almost through the screen um, right. sitting with you guys. Um, I have to say, um, what really struck me about what you just said, and this this helps me with, with all the different frameworks and systems and lists and everything else, but um, the, the notion that um, different audiences might require different language is is helpful. I mean, for me, um, I've seen too many uh, above and below the line uh, frameworks in different fields. And so I I don't go with that. I, uh, my, my, well, I've displaced that with, a, a mantra that I learned from the great philosopher Ted Lasso, um, who learned it uh, from his life coach Walt Whitman, which is "be curious, not judgmental," which encapsulates all the same stuff, right? Be curious, Bingo. which uh, be aware, be present, be empathetic, uh, and and not judge. Um, so, so that's my next tattoo. I'm putting that on the record on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I just like what you said about you know the guys at Goldman uh, may not listen to Ted Lasso, you know so.
1: Jim, Did you just notice that Chris looked over his shoulder when he said he was going to get another tattoo? No, no, no. no. Like Manisha was going to, his wife was going to be behind him. It was weird. It was just kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was,
0: yeah. It was Freudian, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, assessing measuring impact. Can we talk about that for a second, Jim? Um, Sure. in, In my world, I work in a nonprofit where we work on how we prepare teachers and want, and it's difficult to measure the effectiveness of, teachers in the first place let alone teacher preparation and the impact we can have on them so one of the things we do is like a lot of people do we, we survey people to to the end of the earth right and we'll survey uh residents who are in training we'll survey graduates of these programs we'll survey principals who hire them um are you collecting similar data like you talked about google and 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 the d school uh, um, but but like how what are you guys doing and i apologize if i may have missed that on your website or in your book No, it's great. Um, The answer is
2: yes. I would say, well, what's true, what's factually true right now is any company that we go into work with, we do a pre-engagement survey. And because of the work we're going to be doing with them, we're surveying things like how much blame is in the culture. Is there a lot of egoic fixation on needing to prove you're right versus being curious, to your point, Chris? Mm -hmm. How are feelings handled in this culture? What's the level of candor in this culture? How much gossip is in this culture? How does this culture deal with agreements? And how does this culture deal with appreciation? We usually just start with those. So we do a pre engagement survey and then we do a mid- or post-engagement survey to see if we meaningfully move the needle. Now, that is information, and we are collecting it. And, you know, I'm skeptical of all this myself, but it appears that it makes a difference. These needles are moving. Now, to your point, does that change net income? Well, I guess you could say, well, what was your net income before we started? and what's your net income 18 months later, but how in the world are you going to correlate that to the fact there's less gossip? (laughs) You know, by the way, in the 18 months, COVID hit. (laughs) You know, so if you're like my friend, Mark Melnati, you know, who knows Melnati's Pizza in Chicago, their business exploded during COVID.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
2: Not the restaurants. They're Uh, frozen stuff that they deliver all over the country because everybody's staying home saying I want pizza, Mm -hmm, whereas the restaurant across the street closed. Well, they could have all been practicing conscious leadership. So I don't think I don't think we're ever going to be able to do that. But here's the things I think we are going to be able to measure. We started a little study on this um, with Clemson University and the Greenville Health System in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, this is years ago. Uh, And we never completed the project because the uh, business got morphed and changed and so on. But here's what I think you could measure. I think you could measure employee engagement. Now, there's some question around whether employee engagement is actually a good thing to measure. There's a question about that, but let's say you could measure that. You could probably measure um, absenteeism. You could probably measure health costs, and you could probably measure um, because If people are living a more conscious life, a result will be that stress will go down. It's not the purpose, but a secondary result will be stress will go down. And when stress goes down, it's probably true that people are going to be healthier and therefore your healthcare costs are going to drop. I don't know, we'll see. And then the last thing I think you can measure turnover. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you'd want to measure, are you losing good people? And have you become... uh, the preeminent place to work in your industry. This is starting to happen because of some of the work we're doing and other people, but meaningfully us. Companies are saying, I want to go work at Asana because they work this way. Now, in the incredibly competitive world of tech and where you're competing for talent, this could be a differentiator. So I say all that, Chris, because I have a skeptic like you do, and I would love to know if this is measurable. So it's you know, we can measure whether there's less gossip. And I do think that will translate to employee engagement, probably employee satisfaction, probably less turnover, maybe better healthcare costs. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, in addition to being a skeptic, I'm a huge data nerd, as Sean knows, and so, and I think that all that data you're collecting is all that sentiment data and the turnover data is all valid. It's 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 several of multiple measures, and you like yes, you may never be able to tie causation to net income or or blah blah blah, um, but it's still meaningful. So I wouldn't discount it too much.
2: Well, yeah, so I discounted a little bit. You know, there are three partners in our firm, me, Diana Chapman, and Erica Schreiber. Erica Schreiber doesn't discount it at all. In fact, she's now in conversation with people at the D School at Stanford because they're friends of ours. We do work with them. And they have said they have the data. I don't know whether this is true. They have the data to prove that everything we're suggesting, let's take in those first seven commitments, which I outlined for you, really does work. Mm -hmm. Now, then I say, what do you mean by work, you know, blah blah. Mm -hmm. but they say, because these places really do want to be data driven. So it's coming. It just doesn't interest me, you know, what I'm actually interested in is, um, do I have more equanimity? More, uh, am I less, am I more imperturbable? Do I have greater intimacy with my wife? Are my friendships deeper? Now, when I go into a company, or I don't go into companies much anymore, our team does. But I do a little bit of individual coaching. I just want to know, after three months, is your life meaningfully different such that you go, Oh, my God, I had a talk with my wife last night, like, we haven't had in 15 years, or my teenage son did that thing that he did. And I did not go batshit crazy. I stayed present. And I got into normal pissy match with, you know, one of the co heads of investments or whatever. And it went a different way. That's, that's. I got enough of those to go. Something's working now. If you ask me, what is it? I don't know. What's the secret sauce? I don't. Know. There's a bunch of words getting said, but I don't know whether it's some sort of transmission beyond. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I
1: go uh, ahead. And just, I mean, just as it relates to to work in particular, I mean, we could we could have a discussion about the fact that work and life is changing after the last couple of years, right? And so and so, what does it even mean? And maybe there's gonna be more attention on my life and who I am uh, and how my work fits into me versus um, how I fit into my work. And so, I mean, it, it may be Jim, uh, a, a very ripe time for, for CLG to even grow even more.
2: Well, that's what we're seeing. We all know this now, the next generations The younger generations of people entering the workforce, they're no longer saying, uh, I'm willing to destroy my life to have this job. I'm willing to work crazy hours. They're no longer doing that. They're saying, I have a life. I want a rich life. And I want a rich work experience. They're asking totally different questions about what they want out of the work world. And I think the kinds of things that we're talking about answer some of the questions that they're asking. At least that's what we're being told. So, so we,
1: I mean, I I need to make sure we get this in before we go. So, so um, I'm with Todd one time. He says, okay, we're going to check in with emotion, Um, fear, joy, anger, sadness, sexual creative energy. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? So, because we can't not talk about this. And so I'm still sitting here. That was probably two years ago, not knowing because there's, and because it's interesting, there's different theories, right? On how many emotions there are, Jim, you know, is it the five, is it 12, is it 27, whatever you guys have settled on. I think those are the right five. What the hell is sexual creative energy?
2: <laughs> okay. We have to back up. We have to say, and I want it
1: all the time. <laughs>
2: Well, if I don't return to that statement, let's return to it. Because okay. <laughs> I think that is actually a possibility to live in a mild state of orgasmic bliss most of the time. Giddy okay, but before we go there, uh, what is an emotion? Mm-hmm. What is a feeling? Okay, now our definition, and this is I think a pretty good one, is that an emotion is energy in motion e hyphen motion so what does that mean in order for something to be an emotion it has to show up as sensation in or on the body if i asked you where do feelings occur it's a really good question Mm -hmm. feelings occur in and on the body thoughts occur in the mind Mm -hmm. the difference Between a thought and a feeling, there are many, but one of them is, where are they occurring? Now, for example, you can relate to being angry, right? Mm -hmm. Good. So think of the last time you got really angry, probably at someone or something. Okay, good. There was a thought that arose, they shouldn't have cut me off in traffic. She should have done that. So there was a thought. But if we would have said, in this moment, where is anger in your body? You would have been able to locate it. With anger, it probably would have been in your jaw, the back of your head, going down the back of your neck, radiating out your shoulders, your upper back, down your arms, your fists, and your pelvic floor. It would have been located in or on the body. Got that? So for something to be a feeling for us, it has to have a sensational experience, meaning sensory experience, in or on the body. Anger occurs in and on the body. Sadness. When you get sad, does it show up in your body? Sure. Sure. Front of the chest, front of the throat, front of the face turning red, eyes getting wet and moist. Fear, does it show up in the body? Sure. For most of us, it starts in the belly. It can go other places. Joy, does it show up in the body? Mm -hmm. This is a good one. People aren't as tuned into that. But yes, and I say to people, you want to know how joy shows up in the body? Go to a college football game and watch what happens when your team scores the winning touchdown. What does everybody in the stadium do?
1: <laughs> Jump they up and stand down. up,
2: they raise their arms above their head, and they scream. Yep. It's spontaneous. They don't think about it because joy is an effervescent uprising of energy that you can feel all over your body. Got it?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. now,
2: Sean, where do you feel sexual energy?
1: <laughs> is that a question for me? Yeah.
2: A yeah, I would say, uh,
1: well, I would, in my, in my loins, in my pelvic floor, maybe in my hat, in my chest, because it's the, there's, uh, there's a anxiousness and excitement about it. So I really throughout my whole body, I mean, okay, I can feel great. it down in my toes, tingling. Okay, in my great.
2: But if, beautiful. So let's, uh, we got a few minutes. Let's deconstruct this. Uh, for most people, when so what is sexual energy? It's just like the other four. It's a set of sensations occurring in and on the body.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's all it is. Mm-hmm. By the, re- the reason we think there's probably five and not 40 feelings or 12 is because what you're really beginning to do is just subdivide core feelings. So anger yeah. could be anger, irritation, frustration, blah, 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 blah. But the Physical sensation is all the same. Yep. So we're looking for, is there another physical sensation? Okay. Now, with most people, if they really want to explore this, you say, where do you feel sexual energy body? Where are you rock solid sure you feel? Well, in most people, it's in their erogenous zones. Right. Right. So when my balls tingle, there's a pretty good chance I'm feeling sexual energy. This isn't rocket science. Right? Yes. Good. Okay. Now if you say to me, what is sexual feeling? It is the sensations that occur first in your erogenous zones for most people. Now, Sean, what you said was, well, sometimes I feel it in my chest and I can feel it down in my toes. Okay, now, if I were working with you, we I'd really want to discern, help you discern for you. It's not true of everybody. You'd, it would be your pattern. Mm-hmm. That feeling you're feeling in your chest is that, Sexual energy—is it fear? Mm. Is it joy, excitement? What is? It? And you can discern what just a, now. Here's where we're going. Long term, what you can develop is the ability to have sexual energy start usually in the erogenous zones, mm-hmm. but then through breathing and movement, you can start to circulate it up your spine, down the front of your body. This is what Tatra has been doing for you know thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So now I'm feeling sexual flow all over my body. Now, a couple of things about this. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sex. Right. It has to do, and this is why we call it sexual creative energy. Think about sexual energy in its raw form is procreative. Mm-hmm. At the evolutionary biology level, I have sexual energy, so I will put my parts in somebody else's parts and are will survive there will be another me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that's a creative experience it also is a connective experience so sexual energy is the energy that says something wants to be created anger says something needs to be stopped fear says something needs to be paid attention to sadness says something needs to be grieved joy says something needs to be celebrated sexual energy is just like those in that it's not just the sensation in or on the body it's also wanting to do something create something so what you'll discover like i can look over chris's shoulder i see a guitar i don't know whether you have a guitar for a prop or whether you actually play guitar or whether you experience sexual creative energy when you play your guitar if you do then Your creative experience is coming out in the way you're playing that song or writing that song. It can come out when you're coding. It can come out when you're making love to your intimate partner. So sexual energy is a set of sensations in and on the body that are designed to bring us into a flow state from which we create and we connect. That's Now, here's the issue that we're, because, you know, we get shit all the time about talking about sexual creative energy. I bet. Especially when you go into companies. Here's the deal. If you legislate sexual energy out of the workplace, which most places have done, by the way, legitimately so, because here's the deal. Most people do not know how to be with sexual energy in a healthy, mature, conscious way. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they start to feel sexual energy, they become like 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And they think, if I have vibration in my loins, I need to fuck someone. Those are two completely unrelated issues. So what we're talking about is how to have sexual energy in a clean, clear, mature way. And there's a whole... By the way, same is true of anger. We're legislating anger out of the workplace because of toxic work environments, because of abuse, which we should. But legislating sexual energy out of the workplace and then saying to your work work world, we've got to improvise, innovate and create. You can't do it. (laughs) Wow. Saying to companies, we're going to take anger out of the workplace and we need passion. You can't do it. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have the legislation that we do. We should, because right now we're all a bunch of junior hires and don't know how to be with this in a mature way. So let me take a breath. That's what sexual creative energy is a set of sensations in the body that can circulate flow throughout the whole body that are designed to bring you into a creative co-creative and connective state. And you said, I want to feel it all the time. Of course you do. If you just unkink your emotional hose, and you live fully connected and alive in the now moment, you will feel sexual energy. I live in downtown Chicago today. I'll probably go for a walk on the lakeshore. It looks like it's going to be windy, sparkling. I guarantee you, if I get present to Lake Michigan, I will feel sexual energy. Thank God I will. That's what it means to be an alive human being. And I think we're walking around half dead, most of us. No. And one of the reasons is we've kinked our hose and therefore we don't feel sad, angry, scared <laughs> to our sexual energy. Okay, let me pause because that's a big download there.
1: <laughs> go ahead, Chris. I know you're dying.
0: Well, no, I'm, I am I think, I mean, maybe I'm not smart enough to, or maybe I just need more time to to, to think on this. But um, I think about playing guitar or playing music with a band, especially, and and and, the, and the, I, I go to, I I I feel like the, the, the feeling I get is joy. Yes. I think the, the hard, the, 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 the part of it, I, I, I'm not picking up on as quickly is the adjective sexual, like, like maybe I'm misunderstanding that um, because I don't associate playing the guitar with sexual creative energy. I I feel like there is a creative energy, um, but I don't think all creative energy is sexual. And so I don't know. I'm just being slow on the uptake. Maybe. No, that's great. Um, I, first of all, with me on all these things, I don't
2: care so much what you call it. I care that you know it mm-hmm. experientially. And you're able to dance with it in a way that produces a quality of life you want to have. Okay, so what do you, um, I think you're married, it looks like, or in an intimate relationship. What do you want to call that energy you feel when you want to make love to your wife? Affection? How's that different from what you feel with your children? Do you have children? I do. Okay. Well, there's a big well, difference yeah, between those yeah, yeah. One, you, one, one of those is yeah. affection.
1: Affection. you should have been looking over your shoulder for that one
0: you just totally thrown me off the horse there no i i I I have to recover uh oh Uh, i i'm so sorry um your question was (laughs) i mean you know i like like, this is for the next episode we do with you jen but there's the parenting thing and all that other stuff mixed in there your question you're dodging what do you want to call no 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 i'm I'm, i want to i want to make sure i understood the question your question was how what would i call it what would i call me wanting to you know um, i'm being very specific when you want to make love
2: with your wife when you want to take her, possess her, open her up to God through physical intimacy and oneness, when you want to explode into an entirely different level of spiritual oneness and you're feeling something in your body, usually tingling in the erogenous zones, sometimes blood flow, which creates an erection. What do you want to call that energy? I guarantee you, it's not love. Love includes everything.
0: It's not affection. No, it's sexual. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh. I'm, I'm it's sexual. It's, Thank you. Raw. Yeah. Yeah. Honest. Oh, okay. Wait, animalistic. So, it's animalistic. Right,
2: right. So I just want to stipulate there is that. You got that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you feel how that's different than anger, different than sadness? It might include sadness and anger, and it might include joy, but it's a different thing. Agreed. So I begin by just saying can you get that it's a different thing from the other four? Absolutely. Okay. So it's a thing. So you don't have a problem with sexual energy. You see it as a thing. Right, right now, your experience of it is, although I would really ask you to check. So now you know what it's like when it's at a 10 on a scale of one to 10. When you're with your woman, you know what that's like. If I if I was in the bedroom or the couch or, you know, the kitchen sink or wherever you are, and I tap you on my shoulder, and I said, Chris, what's going on right now? You would go, sexual energy. <laughs> and I'd go, great got it so we know what you we know what it is we know it's different from the other four and you know what it's like when it's at a level 10 now I'd say do you know what anger's like at a level 10 sure that's when you want to hit somebody kill somebody throw something or if you're passive aggressive do you know what anger's like at a level one. Do you know what joy is like at a level 10? Do you know what it's like at a level? Do you know what sexual energy is like at a level one? And what does it feel like in your body? Now, again, this is a whole thing. But then I would say this week, your assignment is I want you to see if you can feel it in various ways at different levels of intensity over the course of the week. Journal about it and then report back to me. Now, the next question I would ask you is when that sexual energy is there, what are you doing? Meaning, literally. Now you've learned to locate it in the body. Now you've learned to dance with it and you feel it. What's happening? Like I'm telling you, I go for a walk by the lake, I
0: feel it. I, I, I don't yeah, yeah. I'm okay? with you. I don't I don't deny its existence. Okay. I, I think the I think the 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 gap I'm having trouble closing is how does that which seems like a narrow range of emotions rise to the level of top 5? Like I would I I I feel like there is a difference um, sort of creative joy that's not joy and not sexual right? that I would probably put higher on the hierarchy of emotions than sexual creative energy. Does that Good, make sense? Because It makes total sense, but here's the deal.
2: We didn't come up with the five based on a hierarchy of how often they show up, how important they are, where they are. Again, listen to me. We came up with them because they occur as a set of unique sensations in the body. Mm. So You could disagree with me on our definition of a feeling. A feeling is a set of sensations that occur with predictable location in or on the body. Well, there's something that occurs there (laughs) that is different and unique and distinct from all those others. Now, so because I love your engineering inquisitive curious, (laughs) I, I tell you, here's your first assignment. See if you can find another one other than anger, sadness, fear, joy, or sexual vibration, just see if you can find one. Because I'd love to know if there's another one. I've been looking for years. I just can't find. Now, there's some that want to be argued for, disgust, shame, guilt. And we could talk about those. But they might exist. I don't know. But these five do. So sexual, I don't have it rise up there because like it's you feel it as often as you feel joy or it's as important as anger. I'm not. I actually think those are probably true if you really surrender to full life force. But that's not my point. My point is, it's a unique set of sensations with a unique purpose. And at this point, I agree with you. All you're feeling is it's a unique set of sensations. And the purpose is, first of all, to procreate. But if you're done procreating, at least to bring you into connection. That's what I said. They procreate, create. And they bring us into connection. Now you'd have to fiddle around with whether there's something more to that for you. I don't know. When I write a blog post like the one I sent out yesterday, I feel sexual energy all throughout my body. So and it's, from, it's so,
1: yeah. So for me, where where I start to connect to this now is a couple of things. I mean, the sexual aspect of it is kind of the natural rawness of our humanity. I mean, it's there in us all the time, and this is how it's showing. And and Chris, for me, when Jim talks about the spectrum of that emotion, so you know, when when you're at the kitchen sink and you're getting ready to to get it done, it might be a ten. But if I'm in discussion with you about creating a podcast or a program, it might be at a two, and it's different than joy. I mean, as I'm playing scenarios in my head, it is different than joy. There's no doubt it is for me as I begin to play it through and 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 starting to really identify it now as a thing that I'm experiencing.
0: Yeah, I I, I uh, have spent. um, um... Uh, two orders of magnitude, less time thinking about this than Jim has. Uh, And and, and so, and like I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or maybe four, uh, a lot less. Um, So, so I do want to think about that some more and it's interesting. And um, but anyway, uh, I I also want to move on to one more sort of uh, if it's okay, Jim, to one more area of questioning. So both Sean and I have recently um, uh, experienced challenges with, uh, so, so let me preface this. You, as I'm sure you know, diversity, equity, inclusion are big, uh, big focuses in every part of the world these days, and for good reason. Um, I want to focus m- momentarily on I- inclusion or inclusivity, um, particularly uh, as it relates to your work with corporations, you know, and your training of people and 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 do you, does that, is that explicitly named, etc. And um, if possible how it might relate to um, decision making and do you all talk about decision making um, with the folks that you coach and the, and the organizations that you coach
1: can, can i ask a clarifying question on your question so are you asking jim about kind of the the the
0: elitism around models like this or frameworks no no no, no potential no, no. oh no, okay. I, I just want to know if if conscious leadership group um has thoughts uh, and teaches certain things about what makes for effective decision-making and is there an inclusive uh is there a need for inclusion in decision-making processes oh okay um sorry for being uh so um ineloquent the first time thanks sean oh no that's great so that's much more specific um we do do a
2: whole model on this, a whole uh, module on decision making. It comes with commitment six for us, which is about how to be impeccable with your agreements. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things we teach is in order to be in integrity, impeccable with your agreements, you have to have clear decision rights. So we teach there's seven decision rights, leader decides, leader with input, subgroup decides, subgroup with input, majority vote, consensus and alignment. So we have a whole deal and great leaders articulate what's the decision to be made and what are the decision rights. That's, and then they make clean agreements around it. That doesn't deal with diversity. Um, I think the research here is pretty damn compelling that better decisions get made the more diverse the population is, that is included in the decision-making. it was. At, is it Scott Page from the University of Michigan? this is now 15 years ago, I think he produced incontrovertible evidence that the more we have diversity in the decision-making uh, schema, the better decisions we can make, with some exception, there are some exceptions. You don't want diversity, you don't want to ask, you don't want to crowdsource your uh, heart surgery. There are some cases where you don't want diversity, but those places where you do, which is most of the kind of, uh, diversity is incredibly important. So uh, we stand for that. Now in clarity, we talk mostly about uh, psychological diversity or diversity of personality type. So our favorite tool on that is a tool called the Enneagram. When we go workplaces, everybody uses that assessment. It's a key to what we teach, how we grow, because we think it's the most potent tool out there. So we talk largely about that. We do not talk meaningfully about race, gender, uh, the normal things that need to and are showing up in de We do not. We do not believe that that's our calling. We do not believe we're qualified. In fact, I would go. I'd go even farther. I would say that uh, I was talking to a good friend the other day, who's a DNI trainer. He made a fascinating point. He said, "You know, when people say this is a business culture, I'd never heard this before." He said, "Almost all the time, what that means is white culture. Almost there are some exceptions, but almost always." And he went into dress codes and stuff like that. And it was totally fascinating to me. -hmm. I would say this, that our work, the way we deliver it, is primarily targeted at white men. Now, should it be broader? Well, we could have a great conversation around that. Mm -hmm. Second, white women who can act like men in organizations mm-hmm. because we still don't understand the value of uh, um, feminine flow in workplaces. So now I don't necessarily like that, but that's kind of the way we show up in the world. And meaningfully in the last year or two, that has cost us work because we say right up front, we're not DEI trainers. Yeah. And, now, we can refer you to what we think are great DEI trainers, and you might want to do that, or we would do it with you before we come in, but we're not, that's not what we do. Now, having said all that, again, if you go back to the 15 Commitments and our work is a very narrow targeted audience. If you ask me to go back to my one word, presence.
1: Yeah, right. That's exactly well, what I was doing.
2: Presence yeah. can come in the world through all. Indigenous groups have been practicing presence in transformational ways for millennia. If you go back to awareness and acceptance, same thing. It's totally not based on culture, race, gender, or any of that. But if you narrow it all down to our overly simplistic little model called the 15 commitments, all of a sudden that gets, and the way we deliver it, it gets highly white.
1: I would make a general statement to say that because I immediately started thinking about you losing business because of whatever your target or your model. And I immediately started thinking about how you started presence, awareness, uh acceptance. And and I would make a general statement that white men are probably not good at those things. They're horrible. <laughs> that 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 <laughs> that in the fact worst. they're conditioned to be shitty at those things. And so uh but all of those things are valuable for everyone to continue to appreciate, understand, practice. Um I just think it leads to a more fulfilling life, but um so how do you, so, Jim, so how do you just, get those basic elements, Jim, yeah. in in the hands of more people?
2: Well, that's a big part of what we talk about. And getting it in the hands of more people and us doing it are two very different things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um
2: so, I want whatever it is that's useful in what we do to be in the hands of anybody it could be useful for. Yeah. Whether or not I, as a 68 year old rich, white, straight man, ought to be teaching it is a serious question in my mind. I don't think I should be the teacher of this stuff to, the, to many, many peoples in the world. No, I, you're I, absolutely right. right. Wait, 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 no, why? 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 Because no, no no, I,
0: no,
1: no, no. Because I, I mean, who better? I mean, just what we went, just what you taught us through sexual creative energy. I mean, who better to teach it? And just because of those those labels, those identities, you're still the best teacher for that, are you? Well, not?
2: yeah, but who did I just teach it to? I get it. I, I, Two guys. Okay. Now, well, I'm going to uh, so, so, come in and I'm going to teach, yeah. um, let's say, decision rights. Again, just that little babble I gave you on decision rights. Underneath that are embedded all kinds of presuppositions around power I dynamics. It, I so now I'm going to come into a disadvantaged group where there's clear power dynamics, and I'm going to teach them that kind of stuff. I don't think so. I'd rather, if there's somebody who can come to me, can learn what I have to say, and then they're a fabulous translator, just like I translate Eckhart Tolle into Goldman Sachs, They could translate whatever is useful here into this population. That's what I'm standing for. Now, if somebody says, would you come teach it? I'm happy to go do it. But at the beginning, I have to throw out all these fucking disclaimers. Like I can only see the world the way I see the world. I am literally, there is not one ism in me. Finally, I get to claim ageism. (laughs) That's it. The only ism I get is, and by the way, in what I do in the world, which is some form of wisdom, age is actually a benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm in the yeah, midst yeah. of the conversation well, right now with our people all the time because it is a big deal for us to really be in this conversation. Right. I, yeah. I was yeah. going
0: to, so, 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 no one would, I don't think anyone who knows anything would ever claim that diversity, equity, or inclusion. And like any of them are easy, but I would probably argue that inclusivity is probably the easiest. I mean, it's less sticky than equity and inclusion and diversity. I was going to let you off the hook. I wasn't even going after diversity and equity decision making. I really wanted to talk about inclusion and like what you say about effective decision making for for another time. Uh, But but I appreciate you going down the road. Yeah. We are, um, we're running up against our time and there is a, there is a, a bit at the end where we like to do this with all our guests, Jim. Uh, well, and we don't like we to, have
1: to check out too? I mean, if we check well, in, I guess check, we need out. To
0: check out, check um, wh- out. Why don't you okay. kick us off? Well, no, we should do the questions and then check out. Okay. Right. All right. Yep. Okay. Uh, inside the actor studio. Remember that show, Jim, Fear, yeah. he, these are, this is our version of that. Um, pretty easy off the cuff. Don't think too hard. Here we go. What do you wish you could have told your 10-year-old self? You're home and you can never not be. Next question. Which was the most formative year of your life? Uh
2: when I was forty-three.
0: Awesome. The, the running joke on that question, Jim, is that we try to abstain from asking <laughs> the, the the obligatory. Are you going to bring followers. it up every time? I, I, I'm going to cut the question after Jim's done. Like after this episode, <laughs> it's just it's painful for us because we don't we we. Uh, anyway, you get it. It's painful for um, you. It's painful for me. Okay. Uh, uh, question number three. What do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? whatever they say about
2: me will only actually be about them. Mm. So. So you don't never, care. <laughs> I don't care. And they're not going to say anything about me. They're going to say something that is about them. So they'll say whatever they say.
0: Um, uh, as a placeholder, uh, if we do get the, you know, the blessed with the opportunity to talk to you again, I, I know Sean and I both wanted to talk to you about um, your preparation for death and your thoughts on mortality so just keep that in mind and then the final question by the way quick aside
2: somebody just turned me on to a new app that i downloaded about two weeks ago it's called we croak have you seen this app Mm, yes Mm -mm. god it's fabulous like six or seven times a day it gives you a quote
1: about death Oh, wow. I deleted it. I deleted it because I couldn't stand the notification because I was getting rid of all my notifications. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm out. I, so I deleted
0: it. Yeah. Let us know, let us know when you delete it, Jim. Uh, I'll be curious. Uh, okay. Last question, Jim, and then we'll check out. Um, do you have a mantra in life or even a mantra these days? A mantra. Uh, the answer is no. Okay. Yeah. You're the first person to say that. I love that. Yeah.
2: I've had my, over the course of my life, um, you know, probably the thing that my mind says most to get me into presence is what's actually here now. I've realized that all of my suffering, all of my upset, all of my stress always only comes from being with something that isn't actually here now. So my shift move is to say, what's actually here now? And when I do
0: that, peace arises very quickly well dude that was a great one uh like i don't know why you didn't (laughs) i love that i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna use that and i'm gonna use it with my uh my 13 year old too who could probably benefit from that big time um all right i let us off on the check-ins i'm gonna lead us on the checkouts uh i'm checking out here also from chicago jim uh on this beautiful fall day uh and what a great way to start the day. Um, it's really just a, a treat um, to, to, to talk to you. Um, uh, my skepticism is still at a healthy level uh, on, on all things. Um, but if you've made any change uh, in my life, it's been to, to to bring that skepticism down a little bit. And I appreciate you. So thanks for joining us. And with that, I'm out.
1: So, uh, so Sean, checking out from uh, Palm Springs. Um, I have, um, I'm feeling joy uh from this conversation spending this time with with you guys um sadness that it's coming to an end and it's it's uh um and i'm getting tingly thinking about those things in conflict um i would say the joy is overriding the sadness um and looking forward to the day ahead with that i'm out
2: hey jim in chicago first of all chris uh i would encourage you never to get rid of or try to diminish your skepticism, I would invite you to always be curious. When it has calcified into cynicism, cynicism is a closed heart. Skepticism is part of a curious mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. No, uh, Jim in Chicago, uh, tingling up my back, goosebumps, probably sexual energy and joy. Um, happy, grateful, loved playing with you guys. What a That's blast! Good. Yeah. It.
0: all right hey um uh i do truly hope that we can we can corral you again um but in the meantime i think we're all going to be playing golf in the next few days so hit them straight make some putts maybe yeah thanks be good.
1: and let them go let those let those ob's <laughs> go jim probably doesn't hit an ob oh, that, yeah. that is...
0: <laughs> yeah. all right take care guys right. have a great thanks, guys day. take ya. care
1: yeah. bye-bye
0: This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out
1: at menliving.org.